0: This week's Triathlete Hour episode is all about women, sort of, kind of. We're talking to the pioneer Sal Edwards, the fifth woman to ever finish an Ironman. She also created, back in the day, some of the training concepts that we think of as standard now, like training zones and cross-training. She won Western States, she helped found TriFed, which became USA Triathlon, and she's still going strong. Now, everyone who knows Sal knows that she does not hold back, and this interview, of course, is no exception. But first, a quick chat with Sarah Gross about the new Women's Performance Summit for Endurance Athletes, and what questions female athletes continue to have about their training, nutrition, and gear. All of that after this short break.
1: All right. This week, uh, Sarah Gross
0: is back to tell us about this new Women's Performance Summit you guys launched this week. What does that mean, Sarah? Why why should triathletes care?
2: Yay! I love that you ask what? The questions. Why why should we care, Sarah? <laughs> um, well, thanks for having me back, Kelly. Um, yes, this week on Tuesday, Liv Feisty announced the Feisty Women's Performance Summit. And why should triathletes care? I mean, triathletes should care. So basically, I mean, I'm sure you're you're aware of this. We've we've sort of I feel like we've sort of had a bit of an awakening as women in sport lately, like in the last few years. I don't mean like yesterday, Um, realizing that like a lot of sports science, a lot of like product development in not just in triathlon in across sports. A lot of the nutritional information that comes out is based on studies done on men and often young men. Right. And we don't necessarily know if that information applies to us. Some of it will, of course, um, but we don't know what's what, right? So through the work of like Dr. Stacey Sims and others, and this kind of awakening is happening in other places like in medicine, you know, there's like right. how science is done and whether it applies to women or even other demographics is has come into question. And we started asking those questions. So there's a lot of people out there now kind of trying to answer those questions. Um, and I think that it's become a bit of a confusing environment or like the women's market, quote unquote, is a bit of a it's a bit of like it's become like the women's thing, Kelly, you know,
0: <laughs> the women's you- thing. Oh, yeah. Somebody said that to us once. Oh, well, we've already been doing the women's thing. <laughs>
2: Right. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Like companies, coaches, fitness trainers, um, they say that they're doing the women's thing, right. Um, because that's that kind of, they think that makes them sound good or whatever. So how do we know where the good information is coming from? Um, so that's what this summit is, is it's really a bringing together of all the experts in a variety of spaces, um, who really have the answers to the questions that women are asking and, um, the, inf- the kind of information that will be specific to us and actually help us with our training and actually help us be better athletes. So that's why women should care. That's why ath- that's why your listeners should care. One, if you're a woman and you want to train better and be a better athlete, you should care. If you coach women and you want the women that you coach to be better athletes, you should care. If you work in industries or if you're a sports professional of some kind, you should care. So yeah. did I
0: cover that? Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. But there have been, I mean, there have been women's things before, right? There have been women's Mm -hmm. conferences, women's retreats, women's like go off into the woods and run and write and bond. So this, it sounds like is more science based just about women, right? And it's across all endurance sports too.
2: Yes, yeah. So we're including, like, we have speakers, we have Myrna Valerio from Ultra Running, um, who is, like, she's a best-selling author and ultra runner. She talks a lot about diversity, because there's also, we recognize there's challenges affect women in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. So um, understanding that intersectional piece on that, like, how there's some things, like, we'll have, say, presentations on pregnancy, postpartum, uh, that don't necessarily apply to all women, or menopause, a big group that's completely... um, Kind of ignored in science. Um, Where do they find answers of how to continue to perform during and after menopause? So um, that's sorry, (laughs) I got I went way off tangent. Yes, so ultra running, cycling, all endurance sport. I think we we have an open water swimming swimmer who's our MC. Yeah, a lot of off road because we have sort of feisty. Uh, we have a gravel with the Girls Gone Gravel uh, podcast. Um, so yeah, we're covering we're covering off all of uh, sport, but triathlons obviously where we started, and that's her home. So our so first we're hoping,
0: love, it's the best. It's yeah. Fun.
2: We're hoping a lot of triathletes will join us. Um, what you said about I think you sort of answered your own question about <laughs> about like women's retreats. You were like, oh, going off into the woods and writing. Not that and, there's
0: not that there's anything wrong with
2: that. Totally on board. Totally with that. fine. Yeah. So what we're providing to to differentiate from that, one is that we're sort of committed to this in the long haul. So um, once the world opens up post-COVID, if that ever happens, we're hoping to have a fairly large in-person summit um, that covers all sports. Eventually, that's like the the place to go for women's performance information. And it's also highly educational. And we're creating a community also, but around that education piece for people who actually want to know what the good information is and perform better themselves or help others perform better
0: so we talked to sally edwards in today's podcast and Mm. i mean you know sally uh and she she talks a lot about kind of back in the day when triathlons first starting how there wasn't any training like not training information but like no training information there wasn't like the concept of training zones the concept of cross training she apparently invented the concept of cross training like the word let's just (laughs) put that out there um and so like you had to like figure it all oh, out on like, yourself <laughs> <laughs> and i feel like i mean you and i have talked about it, it's almost like we're at that point now with women's training where we're like trying to figure it out ourselves Even though we have the these basics mm. but now we've kind of established those but now we're getting like more into uncharted territory over here
2: yeah it's all isn't that always the case the generation that comes before kind of goes well we figured it out for ourselves why can't you why do you need coaches <laughs> you know and so like Sally came from kind of like the wild west of travel years, years, which is amazing and it's amazing that she like that that generation is like still around to talk about it and we have that connection to our roots but yeah I think you're right that that we talked about it a bit before we started recording that Like women's performance specifically um, is in that kind of Wild West phase, like I talked about. Like people are jumping on board and realizing it's important, but we don't necessarily know what the good information is and how to bring it all together to into a plan to perform better. Like how do you bring that into a nutrition plan and a uh, training plan and, you know, and how do you know which products like which of all the companies putting their hands up right now and saying we have products for women, how do you know which ones did shrink it and pink it, and which ones actually did proper research and development for a women's product that helps women perform? Like, you need to do a deep dive to figure that out.
0: I mean, there's even debate within the like women-specific bikes, for instance. Like, there's even a debate within the tech engineering community about whether that's really necessary, or if you just need to build smaller bikes from the ground up as opposed to like women-specific bikes. And that, there isn't even like a consensus. I'm not saying one wrong one right. Mm-hmm. I have both non women-specific bikes and women-specific bikes. So it varies. Um, What is the one thing as a two-time Ironman champion (laughs) that you wish you had known about like a women-specific question about your training or gear? Oh, do I have to pick one?
2: Well, fine, but you can't like go nuts, right? I'm giving you two. I'm going to give you two. So one is that I completely underestimated the uh, effect of my cycle on mm-hmm. of my menstrual cycle on my training. So I think I was reading, I was taught that like when we were tired, it was a training tiredness. And I think if I had information, more information, I would have realized that there was a fatigue at different times of month, not just necessarily before and during a period when you like when culturally we know there's there's things happening or you know because you're cramping. Um, but that actually at different points in the cycle that you have different strengths and weaknesses and things that could be used integrated into your training. I, I didn't really Take that in, and I, I spent I probably spent 15 years wondering why you know the like the typical periodized plan three weeks on one week off didn't work. Or Mm. sometimes I try to put blocks of training together. That was like two, three, or four days of training with with an easier day or half an easy day, and that's a typical another typical training cycle that triathletes do or professional triathletes do, and it didn't always work. Like sometimes on the when I'm supposed to be fresh, I'm feeling like crap. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with my cycle. So I wish I had known that or it's, it's not the only factor. Hormones aren't the only factor, of course, but like that, I didn't take that into account at all. Is a bit crazy, um, looking back. And then the other thing is about strength training and how important that is and how important that was specifically for me in terms of my body type and, um, what I know now, obviously, obviously, you know, cause I've ranted on about it to you about doing CrossFit. Um, But I can see now how uh, a dedicated strength program, especially after like after I was 30, which I'm well beyond 30 now, um, would have been an asset to my training program.
0: I'm going to add on my most annoying thing about the whole like now that we're all paying attention to menstrual tracking and cycles, Mm -hmm. there actually is no consistency, though, because then like everyone was like, oh, we we learned a little bit. And everyone thought this one way is what every, you know, applies to all women. And Mm -hmm. so I tried that. Right. I like was like, okay did not work for me at all, right? Like the whole birth control and hormonal and all that not. did not have the same impact that it had on all my friends. So, and then I now that we're getting more and more research mm-hmm. that actually we don't know yet and there's, you know, wildly different reactions. So that's my annoyance right now is that we like know it's something we should pay attention to, but we don't have enough information yet
2: to know how we should pay attention to it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I think, and I think that's why it's important kind of to bring all the experts together a little bit and let people like help curate that information. Like that's what Celine Yager is doing on, um, with feisty menopause and our hit play pause podcast is she talks to experts every week. Right. And then she kind of curates that information and she's, and she's great at it. Right. She's she's well suited to this task and can bring it then to that community and say, OK, here are the bullet points or you can start to see overlap with other experts. Or sometimes people disagree. And that's just how it is. That's just what the Wild West is like. You, you know, you, know you, don't, you don't know who's going to ride in a town.
0: <laughs> that metaphor is getting a little stretched. <laughs> we uh, we do have a story. Celine did do a thing about menopause for us. Um, and we have covered some of this. So I will be sure to include that link in our show notes and we'll include a link to the summit so people can find out more information. Uh when is it, Sarah? Our it line. is
2: March twenty-sixth to twenty-eighth. Um, and also when you sign up, you can sign up at no oh man.
1: You're
2: <laughs> <I'm laughs> trying to remember the URL. <laughs> yes. Women's summit.com, um, or just go to LiveFeisty.com and you can you can find a link there. But women's summit.com. We're having an early bird special what day is this podcast code? Wednesday. Okay, so Wednesday, if you go on today, if you're literally listening today, there's a 36-hour flash sale just for our launch uh, where folks can sign up. But you can get, there's a lot of the information that we know is there now. Some of the speakers are announced, um, all the fun details. Uh, And I was gonna say something really important that I just forgot.
0: It probably wasn't that important. That's always my theory. If you don't remember it, it wasn't that important. (laughs) All
2: right. Well, thank you, Sarah. And we'll include all of those
0: links in the show notes, too, so people can find it. And after this, we will talk to Sally about how things used to be.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Kelly.
0: All right. This week, we're talking to Sal Edwards, a legend in triathlon, won Western States, was the fifth woman to ever finish Ironman, helped found USA Triathlon, wrote the first book on triathlon. I feel like I could go on and on and on, Sal. I feel like most importantly, we should start with you. About a year ago, Two ago, remember you went from Sally to Sal. Why? why? Why did you decide to make that change?
1: I think it's really important that we not be discriminated against based on any religion, gender, sexual preference, uh, politics, any of those things. And when you have a gender name like Sally, automatically you're put into some kind of a framework or I would call it more of a box. And I decided I... We, wanted a gender neutral name Um, and I'll never forget the first time I had sent out an email with Sal Edwards rather than Sally Edwards and uh, this man calls me on the phone and I start the conversation. He said, oh, I thought you were a man Uh, because the name Sal is more associated with men than with women. And mm-hmm. so it proved my point that when you have, and Kelly is help me a little bit I here. Can,
0: I can get by like either way sometimes. Yeah, I
1: kind of yeah. There's some guys named Kelly, right? Right. Yeah. So it was an opportunity for me to both. Uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, I am a white woman, um, uh, no religious denomination. Go through all of that. That. <laughs> But your name is very, very important. And then uh, um, it it was a way for me to, again, not be discriminated against. And in business, I've been in business my whole life. You know, I've raced my whole life. That happens. I mean, mm-hmm. it happens in triathlon. It happens, um, uh, unfortunately, everywhere. So,
0: Yeah, I mean, you were one of the first women to kind of – I think you were the fifth woman to ever finish an Ironman, right? So you kind of came up through sports – when it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, there weren't a ton of women. Did you have to create your own, I mean, I just can't imagine. like, did you have to create your own opportunities there? Was there, was there issues where people like, no, you can't do this triathlon? No, you can't do this running race? Or was it fine? There just weren't that many people?
1: Um, Well, I'll give you a good example. There were not a lot of women at the time because mostly we were considered freaks. Anyone hmm. who wanted to... Uh, you know, do any of these difficult endurance sports and test how far, how fast, how long you can go. And I was did the very first Nice, France, tri- called the Nice Triathlon. It was in France. And I finished third in that race. And I got on stage and the prize money was given out there's a man named John Howard, who was an Olympian and a cyclist and an early winner of the Ironman. And John Howard got a check for $7,000 and I got a check for $3,000. And I said to the French, uh, I ran as far, I swam as far, I biked as far as John Howard, and I just got paid $4,000 less. And they looked at me like, again, I was in outer space or, you know, shooting down laser beams. Um, and I said, it's not my fault that there aren't, you know, hundreds of women behind me, I worked as hard and I want equal pay. And so when USA Triathlon was first being formed as a, the governing body in the United States, I said, uh, we will have equal prize money for men and women. It was the first Olympic sport that did offer that um, as part of the process of being recognized by, uh, I think it was called TriFed at the time. It's gone through a number of different names over the years. And so that is in the bylaws of the organization because of that experience.
0: You helped found, I mean, tri at the time, now USAT, um, how does one found a national governing body? <laughs>
1: Um, well, when I wrote the first book on triathlon, I listed about 10 predictions that I said would probably come true. And one of them is that triathlon become an Olympic sport. And okay. again, you know, there were like a 100 of us in the world at the time, it was not like, uh, but, the, you know, the uh, there were very few triathlons that even existed at that time to compete in. And um when I said that, I said, I said, well, we better have a meeting. And so uh, I think there were about eight of us. Vern Scott uh, was one of those individuals, became the first executive director, and he passed away um, recently. So that's, um, I think he made it into his 90s. He's, he was... Um, a uh, very, uh, a big proponent of forming, a the fir- and I believe it was the first governing body of triathlon in the world. I don't think any other country had had done that at that time. And so we, you know, started, I got out, they said, well, we have to open a checking account. And um, I got out, uh, I owned a company called Fleet Feet. Fleet Feet is now 200 running stores in the United States that I, subs- late many decades later sold. And I wrote a check for $1,000, and Carl Thomas, uh, he was the vice president of Speedo, wrote out a check for... So Speedo and Fleet Feet basically started US, uh, Trifed at the time, USA Triathlon, uh, by opening a bank account, putting some money in it, uh, uh, hiring for free. And I call that uh, non-munity, this is my expression, non-remunerative remunerative work of value. So okay. we're all volunteers. Nobody got paid, and uh, we, you know, the two thousand dollars really didn't wasn't going to go very far anyway. <laughs> but uh, that's how you kind. Of, yeah, it's kind of how you start a national. And you call yourself. We're the national governing body. And it was interesting because there was another group that had formed somewhere else. Huh. Months later, um, that And wanted, that one didn't stick. No, we got together and said, "Hey." It's there's, you know, there's not enough of it. We don't have any members. We don't have any insurance. <laughs> we don't have, we, and then um, Carl, uh, Jim Curl and I, Jim Curl uh, started the uh, USA Triathlon Series, uh, wrote the first rule book on what the rules of the sport were, and so we then had rules, and, and I'll, I mean we did it. I did it on a basically on a, a typewriter. Then there was a the word <laughs> processor, so. You know, it was in the days before we had a lot of things we have today.
0: What were I mean, if you had to f- figure out the fundamental first rules of triathlon, were there any that were very different than they are now?
1: Um actually no. I I I, I can't say because I'm not up on the contemporary rules of right. what they are and how how they might have been modified by the board of directors that it oversees the rules of our sport. But um the um, uh, the basics are the same. It has to be swim, bike, run, the order of events, all those kinds of things. Because in the early days, and one of my very first triathlons, Vern Scott, was lived in Davis, California, and it was, uh, hold on, it was run, bike, swim. And he didn't tell us, and there were no wetsuits at that time that even existed for swimmers. Actually, he didn't tell us that the water was going to be fifty-six degrees. Your core temperature is like racing at this time, and every uh, everybody got hypothermia. I mean, the banks of the lake were just covered. The boat, the two boats he had out. So rules about okay. safety and all of that, you know, were being developed.
0: How did you even find races that if they're, I mean, like you're saying, they didn't even have it established a swim bike run. There weren't even races. How does one even become a triathlete when triathlon <laughs> doesn't exist? Like-
1: <laughs> well, because of uh, that, I, I, you know, I owned and franchised Fleet Feet. Um, I was more aware of it and Fleet Feet started some of the very first races in California Um Uh, We started some of the first ultra marathons because I was into ultra marathoning and we started the first triathlons. And um, you just, uh, back in that day, we used these uh, punch cards, computer punch cards. Have you ever seen one, Kelly? A computer punch card? Yeah. Like for what? For typing? Uh, No, you would use it. um, You would type a little name and it would go in a box and they would run (laughs) it through and you would get address labels and then you would postal mail. Race flyers too, okay. And then you'd go to running races, and you'd put fly, you know, pass out flyers about hey, there's this new thing. And they would say, "Oh, uh, uh, how do you spell the word Alon. And right. you deal with getting rid of the a. I mean, things that are just taken for granted. Though some are minor, some really are. Like spelling the name of our sport correctly is important.
0: People still get that wrong. In all fairness, oh, they
1: so. do. I didn't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. They oh, jeez. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing because that was in uh, nineteen eighty. So how many? That's uh, forty years ago. That right. this sport. I don't. I, you know. That's how old our sport is—forty, which isn't all that old.
0: It isn't that old. No, it's actually a fairly young sport in the scheme of in the scheme of sports. Correct. But it's changed a lot in the forty years. And you were involved all through the eighties and nineties, right?
1: Correct. And I did my last Iron. I'm seventy-three years old now. I did my last Ironman when I was in my early fifties. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I've still done triathlon. I do a birthday triathlon every year. I win my age group and the age group before and the age group before because. <laughs> Uh, there aren't a lot of women, uh, in the, in, in my area, which is Sacramento, California that are in those age groups doing triathlon is still a pretty young sport.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, after, I mean, after you were pro, like you said, you got paid $4,000, you were pro for a while. You were like the fifth woman to do Ironman. And then you went, went and worked with Danskin for like 20 years and the, you know, the famous Danskin women's triathlon. And your whole job was to be the last person to finish the Danskin Triathlon.
1: Yes. I I sometimes say I went from first to worst. Right. And, but it's really should be flipped the other way because the worst place is the best place in the race. The, what, until I did it the first time, which is to volunteer to finish last, uh, and I, uh, never got my heart rate of over 100 beats a minute during any of the dance skin races. I had no idea the struggles of the hmm. of those it, men or women in the back of uh, of the race. And when we had 650,000 women over those 20 years do a triathlon, so that brought a lot of women into the sport. Um, the best place in the whole race was being the sweep athlete. And, and I can remember talking to Scott Tenley once, and he said, you know, I'm on the brink of being too old and not being important anymore in this sport. And, you know, my marquee value drops with age that happens to any athlete. And I said, why don't you just finish last, Scott Tenley? <laughs> and he said, I've never finished last in anything in my life. And I said, well, try it see what you think. And he said, no, I can't do that. And so I laughed and I said, then you're going to miss the best place in the race.
0: Huh. Why do you think, I mean, why did it matter that you, I know you did it so that nobody else had to finish last, but why was that a big deal? Like, why did that matter?
1: Um, I I think for that first timer who's so scared and uh, for the intimidation factor of our sport, which is really strong, is. You know, most of the triathletes are skinny and um, uh, height, weight proportionate, and most women are not skinny and height, weight proportionate. You've got to get out in a swimsuit, which is embarrassing to some women and, you know, display your body. Um, And then to be humiliated, in fact, uh, to them humiliated that when we flip that paradigm and said, no. Every woman here is of equal importance, whether you're the first or the last and the crowds that that would come and wait for that last finisher, which is part of a tradition in part mm-hmm. of triathlon is you wait until every single one person has crossed the line wearing marathons and things. nobody, Lots of people don't care and they just go their own way. Um, and at one point we gave a diamond necklace to the woman who finished last, which, <laughs> which was a mistake because then we had competition <laughs> right. for last.
0: I was going to say, I mean, right now I've wondered sometimes if people like want to be the last one in an Ironman. Cause then you get like all the press, but if there was a diamond necklace then you would definitely
1: want to be. last. <laughs> Correct. Um, so we, we quickly changed that <laughs> in this, in the dancekin series. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, did did it seem though like more women were getting involved in the sport over those years? Because uh, you did DanSkin from early '90s through to when did it end? Twenty
1: twelve something like that. Right. That's good. I'm I'm impressed, Kelly. Um, yes. So initially it was a regular triathlon. uh, Go as hard as you can. Um, you know. Uh, we try to place in your age group. And then when we started to mm-hmm. really figure out, uh, a- actually it was triggered by when I started finishing last and mm-hmm. our registration team said, Sally, do you know the impact that, that is being had by this a final finisher position for an elite athlete to do that? I said, no. And she said, well, we were getting like 500 in a race, and then the next year we got 1,000, and then the next year we got 2,000, and then we got mm. 5,000, all women in a triathlon. And in part, it's it, you have changed this um, to more of a party, more of a girls' weekend, women's weekend, because I don't like the word girls for adult women. Um, And you've changed the whole um, you go, girl, kind of uh, uh, philosophy and cheers that we would have. And it was really nice to see men, you know, carrying their children in the in the lunch basket and the chairs and having the whole paradigm that we're going to celebrate women. We're going to celebrate women discovering, you know, in part who they are and um and in part that this is and we we had men who would enter the race and we didn't we just let them go ahead and do it we didn't like you can't do it i mean if you want to be a jerk um and not get what we're doing then go do that but um and we're not going to stop you and you know you're not going <sighs> to you're going to be whoever you are, <laughs> um, and it's it was a whole. And at one point, I mean, the winner winner of the series won a BMW car, brand new BMW, and there was prize money and all of that. We said, no, let's take the budget for this series and let's have nicer medals and better shirts and mm-hmm. uh, you know more refresh. And so this party element started to grow and become. Uh, what the dance can be came, which is kind of a coming out party for athlete, women athletes.
0: Yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. I mean, we've I feel like we've talked about there should be another women's national tri series. It'd be amazing. It'd be awesome.
1: Yeah, we, we should yeah. have the, the sport should have that. I agree. When Ironman bought the dance skin, which is um, uh, they basically uh, took a knife and stabbed it in the back and. Uh, uh uh called it iron you know said this is we're gonna roll this into iron girls and our gang didn't want to be an iron girl and mm. and i know that part of that was because of trademark issues that they had with the word iron iron woman iron man uh but it uh it it did not it was back to let's wear lycra and have fast bikes and you know mm. our, our our gals weren't going to support that interesting when you say like they're what
0: you said you used to you could win a BMW or you could win a diamond necklace. I mean, what was pro triathlon like in the 80s? 90s? Could you make a living? I've heard you and and some of the other women talk about this. I mean, you were winning thousand a couple thousand dollars, but then sometimes you could win a car and that would like make it for the whole year.
1: Yeah. So um Aaron actually Aaron Baker won that BMW car in that series in a, a race against uh, I think I think it was McKinley Jones was uh, okay. they were the one and two and uh the night before Erin did mention she was pregnant and I shared with her that I didn't think it was a go- good idea to go above your second threshold T2 Uh, when you're pregnant, uh, because uh, physiologically, you know, what happens to our bodies when we push them into the red zone. Uh, And she said, I want that car. And she did when the baby was fine. uh, And she was offered the option to sell a car in the United States, by BMW and take the cash uh, because get, she lives in New Zealand and it would be tough to get that card in New Zealand. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. That would be that be, be challenging. Yeah. Yeah. So, so did you ever make a living though? As a, I mean, because you also obviously, you, like you said, you started Fleet Feet. You had a whole lane. I mean, that's how you made most of your money, obviously, yeah. with like being an actual,
1: an actual business person. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I, um, I, I would, uh, there was no way a woman at that, in those early uh, 1980s, could ever earn a living off the sport. It was just not, a, you know, there just was not where it is today. There was, you know, limited television coverage, which is necessary. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Nike at that time was the big sponsor and Budweiser beer, uh, which abandoned the sport for whatever the next young person's kind of, you know, the up and coming uh, was their, uh, the uh, the beer companies. And um, so, no, it would have been impossible uh I earned my living off of starting from scratch and growing Fleet Feet to, not to where it is today, but to where it was when I sold it.
0: Right. I was going to say, if anybody in the West Coast, like Fleet Feet's huge. It's everywhere.
1: Yeah. 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 It's the largest. It's now the large. Well, it was actually when I ran it too, but uh, I sold it in 1993 um, to start the com- my, my company now, Heart Zones, uh, because I, I wanted to do training and education, although now we're deeply enmeshed in technology. Right. And at the technology company, which wasn't where I was, my background experience. So uh, it just shows you that at any age we can adapt and and um, and learn and grow.
0: Yeah, I mean, you were one of the first people to kind of, you know, like uh, the fundamentals of what we consider heart rate training and training zones now. And you actually developed a lot of that. You were the first triathlon training book. What were the things that we now think of as completely normal? that actually didn't exist that, that you had to like create and come up with. I heard that you came up with the word
1: cross-training. Is that true? Um, That is true. So I have a master's degree in exercise science from UC Berkeley. And at the time there uh, were really literally no books on training of any kind. Uh, uh, There was not really no training guides for marathons or long distance cycling or running or We didn't train. We went out and did sports. And training was a kind of a new concept. And I tend to be about 20 years ahead. I'm doing it right now with another whole area. But anyway... and the cash cow usually comes twenty years later. So when you start something from scratch and you invent things, and one of those principles was cross training. And I can remember several of my friends that I went to college with, became PhDs, and went on and said, "You know, Sally, you state that by cross training, you'll be fitter and faster in your single sports specialty." And I said, "Yeah, I wrote that in the first book." And I said, "If you cross train." Which is you do multiple different sports activities to to in to be good at, at at multisport, but also to and I went on and set up PR in the marathon and qualified for the Olympic first women's Olympic trials in the marathon, by using a cross training methodology. And so I said, I think you're – so one of the basic principles of training is called sport specificity. I know mm-hmm. you know this. Your audience knows this. And it says to be a great runner, you've got to run. To be a great cyclist, you get to cycle. But in fact, um, uh, by cross-training, you allow certain of your muscles and your cardiovascular – your, your uh, nervous system and cardiovascular system to recover from that activity while you're going at pretty high intensities at other activities. So it was a rest recovery which is another f- basic principle of training I- and how you measure that is another whole subject um, to uh, do that. Although you continue to to uh, stress your central nervous system pretty hard <laughs> in the sport of triathlon.
0: Well, yeah. You just said yeah. uh, the concept of like recovery and going easy on easy days and hard on hard days is like a thing we all kind of accept now. I mean, it's like widely accepted, was that like a standard then or was that like not? I mean, you basically you just said that, you know, the whole concept of training was had to be developed. How was it you just developing it by trial and error? Were you just like trying things and being like, well, that didn't work?
1: <laughs> well, yes, I I did uh, do that. And I, I read the original research articles that were uh, coming out of uh, American College of Sports Medicine way back when there weren't very many members of that group either. Uh, and, uh, f- and, and tried to follow and, and, and in part I had to argue with scientists and, um, because they say, you know, they, their experiments are six or eight weeks. They're not over right. long periods of time. So, um, I dispelling, there's a lot of myths that even still exist today in training that like 220 minus your age is one like get over it people it's the maximum heart rate uh age adjusted formula is invalid but you read any popular magazine today almost and they'll say you got to do max and it's really easy to figure it out and it's just you know it takes a long time to put that nail in some of these uh, myths about weight loss and
0: What's the one then that like still really annoys? besides the, you know, the whole like (laughs) 220 minus your age?
1: The one that really bothers me that is something called a fat burning zone. Okay. Okay. So um, in uh, training with data, which is what did not exist back in the day, I remember when I ran in 1984 in the Olympic first women's. What a great celebration! Televised, Joan Benoit Samuelson wins the, for, you know the first place, then goes on and wins a gold medal in the Olympics in the first time women were allowed. Um, I would look at my heart rate monitor, and I would say, "What does 176 beats a minute mean?" I'm running 26 miles, and um, and so I said, "You know, we need to make sense out of." So I created zone training to take, uh, give a contextual um, uh, relationship between numbers and give numbers meanings, which is what we um, need to do. And so then one day a treadmill manufacturer called and said, we're going to put this button on our treadmill called a fat burning zone. And we want you to tell us, you know, what percent of max to do that with. And I laughed and I said, that's just, I can't do that. It's not the way the body works. I can't say that it's, you know, 70% or 60% or 80% or, because it's different and it's based on metabolic response and not maximum heart rate. And I tried to explain that. Which they would not accept because they want, and and then they about a year later they put that button on there and they made it at sixty to seventy percent of your age adjusted maximum heart rate, which technically means your max heart rates calculated incorrectly, and sixty to seventy percent is below the, you can go a lot harder and burn a lot more fat at a higher number, uh, but it became the most popular button when on treadmills. When somebody would right. get on, they'd push the fat burning zone, which actually makes you fatter because you think you're burning fat and you're burning a little bit of fat, but you're, you're not burning very many calories and the human body is built to, it wants to burn calories if you want to do weight loss. So the whole concept of a fat burning zone is wacko. <laughs> it's wacko.
0: <laughs> yeah. You even have like I people can't see it because we're not recording the video, but you have like all your charts uh, of the different heart rate zones behind you because you started the company Heart zones um to kind of like get this whole different training zones of your heart rate. Uh, and then, like you mentioned, it became a technology company. and you like now you're founding apps at the age of seventy
1: three mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. interesting uh, interesting path there.
1: It is, and I have dedicated a lot of my uh, interest and energy into uh, school physical education. I'd like, I want to be part of the reform movement. Uh, It's, it is a bit like moving a mountain in terms of uh, we call it tossing out the rubber chicken. Um, and P.E. has been uh, uh, about 50% of the P.E. teachers resist everything we're doing, which is to bring technology into the school. Physical, they're the, school PE, P.E. teachers are the last to adopt technology. I mean, science, math, language arts, uh, uh, you know, technology is a basic part. But as soon as I say, hey, let's put a, get a little data and let's maybe uh, make it safer for kids to work out and more enjoyable and engaging and interesting and individualize and personalize it. They say, hey, Sal, I got 50 kids in a class. I can't even learn six periods a day. I got 300 kids. How am I going to learn even all their own names? And I said, we're going to do it differently. And We're going to do it better. And they walk into a PE class, and they put on a wearable. I don't care if it's a step tracker or a heart rate monitor or the new, the new sensor is a core body temperature, which will really, uh, they're really expensive right now. Price drops with time, but, um, and we're going to individualize and personalize this. And the, the, the pushback has been really, really hard. So we'll just keep working on that segment of the population and, um, Uh, I kind of like with triathlon, I said, anybody can do a triathlon. And they look at me, oh, it's an Ironman, you can't do it. And I said, no, no, we're going to, there are these things called sprint triathlons. And they go, there's something other than an Ironman? Because in those early days, you would, I would say, I'm a triathlete. And they'd say, what is that? And I'd say, I do an Ironman because, and they go, oh, I know what that is. It was on TV.
0: They still say that, just so you know, you say no, triathlon, like, seriously? Random, yeah, well, like the random, fr- you know, like your aunts or uncles or random, yeah. like, oh, yeah, the one I see on TV, that's pretty much your standard. Oh. We still got to, like, convince them that it's not just
1: yeah. Iron Man. Yeah, that brand that um, has gone through its challenges, let's say. Yeah. yeah.
0: So did you, um, do you feel then, I mean, you've been really involved in trying to get people more fit, more active, gotten better or worse over time?
1: Um, Kelly, that's a really good question. I'd love to hear you answer that one. Um, you know, statistically, our population has become more sedentary. Uh, mm-hmm. I know we're in a pandemic with COVID as we're doing this interview, and it's made that worse, not better. Um, uh, with health clubs closed and schools closed or or hybrid versions of these um, uh, different opportunities to uh, exercise and with the huge move. And it, it, it was like COVID hit, the gyms closed, and within two weeks, 300,000 trainers went online and started training right. clients online. I mean, the, the ability to adapt quickly to um, the that response, I was very impressed with that was not the question. The question is, are we getting better? And my goal is uh, my lifetime pursuit, we call it my my purpose on the planet is to get America fit. Uh, our company now operates in in 10 different countries. So I kind of have to adapt the America thing a bit, but um, I, I think things are worse in terms of, mm. of fitness, but I also wrote a book called uh, Fit and Fat, I don't care if people are fat. I care whether they're fit, and the discrimination against people who are um, overweight or obese uh, is, is, an, is is shameful. I think we really need people to be fit. I don't care what's how big their bumpers are. I care that they're not couch potatoes.
0: Right. I was saying that there. I mean, that's like almost a whole other discussion. That there is a lot of discrimination against lar- people lar- who are larger, even if they. Do triathlon, even if they run, even if they and and what we need is people moving.
1: Correct. Yeah, yeah. Correct. And we need to do that in a safe um, and uh, engaging way so that they don't quit on us. And you mm-hmm. know, I can remember when CrossFit started to become popular, and I said, God, we're going to kill the dumplings. We're going to kill the dumpling. An expression I use that they're going to walk through that door and do high and hit training right off the bat, and not build a base, and you know. Uh, and they, and and some have died at CrossFit and they've died at other gyms from the underlying conditions that there was, you know, people were not aware of that's going to happen driving your car. Uh, but I think that we need to be do really sound exercise programming and find things that people can fall in love with. And triathlon is one of those sports. you I mean, it's addictive. It's... Um, something that emotionally just grabs your heart and says, I can do better, I want more, I want to be part of this tribe. And it's a fabulous tribe to belong to.
0: Why? I mean, your very first one, you didn't even finish. Why did you stick with triathlon? Your-
1: <laughs> <laughs> I froze because I was sitting on the bank shivering for like an hour because I couldn't move. Um, and Vern Scott, the race director at the times, didn't know any better. It wasn't his fault. I mean, we were trying to figure right. out what what distances, what uh, discipline should be in order and all of that. Um, I... I I was a, I was pretty good at it. That's, you know, I was in first place when uh, I got hypothermia. <laughs> so I've got to be a little smarter. And I can remember when they, uh, the governing folks at the time wanted to ban wetsuits. And I said, Oh no, huh. you cannot ban wetsuits. This water is really cold. So yeah, no, that
0: would not go over well
1: now. <laughs> no. tried to ban wetsuits. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And do you think, uh, I mean, obviously we were just talking about like health and fitness generally, but within triathlon, do you think it's gotten more serious, more competitive? I mean, obviously training's gotten a lot more focused, intense, um, and I think think people have gotten a lot better over the years. Yeah, one
1: of the things that I did miss, which there have been quite a few in my life, but (laughs) was the development of the coaching platform. Mm i really thought that people would read the books I, i've written 24 books now on health and fitness and triathlon and running and you know all weight loss all these different uh, school curriculums um, i really thought people would read and then say oh this is i can write a training plan i can go out and do a training plan i can look at my results i can change i can i really thought that people would do that and i'm so wrong i was so <laughs> off that the whole explosion of levels of coaching and depend you know giving giving up that privilege to me of of art and designing training, which to me was like one of the best parts is like, I'm going to go test my body against my ideas of how it works. Um, So I I just uh, would encourage your listeners to, you know, become more self-responsible and reliable and uh, believe in your ability, because I think people know themselves better than than they may think. And they turn that responsibility over to coaches. And there are people who do need coaching. I'm not, they yeah. probably need coaching for their, um, their emotions as much as their bodies.
0: It's also, it also very time consuming. Are you, I used to read the books and write my own <laughs> training plans and it took a long time. So.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. then uh, you can either, uh, you know, work and earn, earn an income and pay somebody else or right, you can exactly. go, I'm going to figure this out. But that's part of my entrepreneurial nature is, um you know in business has been to try to fill a need and i i felt that that was you know everybody should understand how to train
0: so that was the one thing that you feel like you missed what uh what other changes did you see kind of in triathlon over the four decades now
1: um well, I referenced these ten different things that um, uh, I thought would come about, which is, you know, there were, triathletes would become celebrities. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure they become celebrities. Triathlon would become an Olympic sport. Yes, it took what I thought was a lot longer to become an Olympic sport, but yes, it did. That that triathletes could earn a living off of this sport, and that um, has come t- to pass. So um the politics of triathlon is something that also did surprise me a bit how the relationship between the athletes and the business community and the race directors and how the amount of turmoil that ex- that and you'd have to help me if it still exists um hmm. between those three entities that are the kind of the force behind the sport um and the business being, you know, the, the big brand called uh, Iron Man and how it continued to blossom. And um, and and another, the Danskin Triathlon. Now, in the Danskin Triathlon, the corporation Danskin went down. Mm-hmm. So that caused a, a bit of a problem of what you do with a series when the corporation doesn't exist anymore. So uh, that was part of why it was sold.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, there's still definitely uh... – or relationships between sponsors and athletes and, you know, everybody has things they need from each other for sure. Still happens.
1: Still, Still happens. Thing. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And, and the magazine and your podcasts are also uh, uh, pocket media has gotten very involved in um, owning and uh, that, that segment of the business.
0: Yeah. I mean, we have a bunch of other brands now. Uh, women's running yoga journal, whatever. There's a bunch. So
1: I think we're an means, active you know, lifestyle yeah. company. How, how many <laughs> is there? I think it's over 20.
0: Something like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, the idea obviously like kind of to your point is that, you know, people want to get outside. They want to get fit. They want to do different things. They don't want to just do triathlon. They want to do lots of stuff. Um, And, we, you know,
1: that's good. And then, really and, want then, to and then your, your generation, are you, a are you a millennial? Are you a Z? What I are think you? Yes.
0: I mean, really millennials are like adults in their thirties at this point. So
1: yeah. And, and are, yeah. You, are you near that? Yeah. 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 Okay. But it's just
0: funny when people say millennials, you're like adults in their thirties. Uh, but younger than me, um, you know, I don't know how much they want to do organized sports. is an interesting question right now, for sure that a lot of people are trying to figure out.
1: Yeah, I went. Um, I go to Consumer Electronics Show CES w- when it exists, um, and the eSport movement in uh, uh, was full rage last year. Uh, uh, there appears to be quite a interest, in the next age group and in eSports and whether it becomes an Olympic sport. And right. yeah, so yeah, the shift in our uh, the, both the demographics and the uh, uh, participants is changing.
0: Where do you think I mean I don't know how much you're still involved in triathlon obviously you're more focused kind of on fitness generally but where right. do you think it goes from here what do you think uh you made your 10 predictions before what are your <laughs> 10 more now
1: Well I, I do read your magazines so I do try to stay up on the sport and it's hard when the mag I don't know um the magazine's what 35 40 years yeah, old. The story. Yeah. yeah, And it happened with runner's world, uh, runner's world had 10 of these and five, you know, the, the front covers and six of those and three recipes and, uh, that, um, uh, so you stop reading the magazine because it's a rerun and not, uh, creative, refreshing and new. And I think triathlon should look at creative, refreshing and, re- and uh, and renew and I think they should invest in in that I uh every once in a while I say you know I think I'm going to run for the board of directors of USA triathlon because I don't like the course of our sport and then I stop and remember I spent my seven years as a volunteer on the board of directors and I I need to do other things um in my life
0: okay what do you tell people that want to get into triathlon
1: Oh, at this point, I, I tell them first, sign up if you can, <laughs> and then uh, uh, grab yourself a coach or a training plan, and preferably not just any person's plan off a website that doesn't fit, and uh, get as much money together as you can, because equipment's really, really important. Um, and I can remember I did my first Ironman. I didn't know what a racing bike was, and I had a friend who was six foot two, and I'm five foot six, and I borrowed his bike, because he had the lightest bike. To go race on but none of us you know as a pioneer in the sport of triathlon we um uh, had to break the trail and uh, to to figure that all out um and so i you know i i'm a big believer in uh jump in the jump in full full steam ahead and see if you like it if you like it then go for it and if not then Fall in love with something else. But if, if you ask me what sport to fall in love with, and then I'll never forget, I was, um, you know, I was winning ultra marathons and racing, you know, to, for fleet feed. And uh, an article was written and it said, Sally Edwards is no longer, because my name was Sally, not Sal, Sally Edwards is uh, left all, uh, running for triathlon. She's now a triathlete. And I went, wow, I was... That's, it became a new definition as an athlete of who you were. Um, and I can then can remember the first time I read about a triathlete who was brought up in the sport rather than uh, coming from a bicycling background or swimming or running background. They came from a background in triathlon. And I went, God, what an advantage to have to not have been a single sport athlete like, like the rest of us really were. Um yeah. so the progression is really really nice. Interesting.
0: Out of all of your like races and wins, what was your favorite over the years? Uh,
1: my most memorable race, I finished third was a I was the first Ironman in Japan. And uh, Paula Newby-Fraser and, and a number of us, uh, you know, where she was uh, then had risen to the level that she maintained for a long, long time, you know, um, were at the race. And Japan, and we had no idea how the Jap, because we just started the interna- international racing at that point. Um, and the finish line was a, a 15th century castle. Uh, when you go over a moat, uh, a moat, you know, bridge. They, the castles had water around the outside, and you go over this moat, which they would lowered the bridge. And in the middle of the of the castle was a baseball diamond, and the finish line was home plate. And they had all their pop, the Japanese have a lot of pomp and tradition and surf, you know, and all of this. And um, I finished um, my. I'd had a dream that I could. Uh, finish a race in 10 hours and 42 minutes, which um, I was probably in my early 40s at that point. And I don't know if you've ever dreamed and seen the finished clock in your dream. And I came across this moat and into the, and I saw the clock and it said 10 hours and 42 minutes, which was a PR for me at the time. And it was just like this whole feeling like, huh, I'm really connected to, uh, to getting to the level where I could do my best. And that's really always in, in sports. What I wanted to accomplish was to do the very best I could, regardless of who the competition was. And it was, uh, it's a memory.
0: Yeah, it's a, I've never dreamed my time, but oh. now I'm, now, now, yeah. I, now I want to. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Think through that. What and you do, you sit down, you do the math. If I had the perfect a swim and the best right. band, you know, and I, and it all adds up. And for me, it added up to 10 hours and 42 minutes. So. All
0: right. cool. yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of the information. Um, and for talking to us about, you know, our young slash old sport.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're a good interviewer, Kelly. I really appreciate it. So uh, let's stay in touch.
0: Thanks to Sal and Sarah and to all of you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share with a female triathlete in your life. Keep training and keep listening.